Alright, hello everybody and welcome back to Stick a Fork in It, Feeding Tampa Bay's podcast. We are here today with an extra special guest, Senator Jeff Brandis. Senator, welcome. Hey, thanks for me. Thanks for having me. So, uh, before we dive into the meat of the program, I, uh, I guess the big question is, uh, how'd you come to hear of us? Why, why are you sitting here with us today? So obviously, uh, we've been in the middle of the pandemic, and uh, we've seen the nature of phone calls in my office change. They've changed from, how do I get unemployment, to I've run out of food, and what do I do? And so we've had to really be doing a lot of research in, in locally in our area about where, where we send people. Uh, and it seemed like every one of the streams that we sent people to, the, the everything kind of flowed back to Feeding Tampa Bay. And so I really wanted to kind of understand what Feeding Tampa Bay was about. And, and in the last few months, I've really gained a, a much deeper knowledge of the work that you all do in the community. Yeah, thank you for for that. And I think, you know, it's a really interesting thing is when a lot of, I, I know a lot of people when they think about politicians, they think of uh, sitting in the legislature in Tallahassee passing laws, but they don't realize how important constituent service is. So can you tell us a little bit about, you know, what those, why those phone calls were coming to you in the first place? So obviously, you know, we've gone from, uh, you know, almost 3% unemployment in early January and February to, you know, 14, 15% unemployment today. And that has made a, a significant impact, obviously, on the lives of Floridians, especially in my district. Uh, and and uh, we've seen that just the nature of the calls, the volume of the calls. I mean, often calling your state legislator is, is, is kind of, we're kind of like the knot at the end of the rope, right? You have reached out to a lot of other groups, and now all of a sudden you just need help from somebody, and you don't know really who to turn to. But there is, the, you know, we have legislative offices you can call, and we can try to play air traffic control and direct you where you need to go. And so that's what we've seen. We've just seen that the the type and nature of the calls over the last few months has radically shifted. Uh, and and so we've been able to, you know, work with community partners, organize specific events to, to try to bring people together. I think what people would be shocked is, you know, a lot of legislators, yeah, they're working on a variety of different issues, but they're, they're often... Uh, are kind of disconnected from the nonprofit world in some way in their own community. And so just trying to reestablish that connection because we you know we're gone for five or six months out of the year. And, and, and oftentimes the, the connections change. So making sure that they're educated on who they can go to, what services are currently being provided, who the best contact is in that area, because obviously contacts change. Uh, and especially given the COVID pandemic, we thought that it was really important that we be the, the lead for this area in helping our fellow legislators and frankly my staff know who to reach out to yeah well and you know we so appreciate that you realized and that you had the opportunity to send people our way um and and we've seen over the last two and a half months that you know feeding tampa bay has really stepped into the challenge that you're seeing and you're hearing on those calls of more and more folks are just looking for a place where they can get a bag of groceries looking for a place where they can put food on their table and so that's actually how we ended up kind of starting this conversation is that you and Lottie and Lizzie and, you know, some other family members, Colin and Connor, Colin right? and Connor uh, ended up showing up on a Saturday morning at one of our mega distributions. And uh, you were there, you know, you didn't uh, need any special treatment. There was no red carpet to be found, so there was none to roll out. Um, but you jumped right in and started putting food in people's trunks. Yeah, it's it's a great experience. One, it's a great experience for me as a dad uh, because, you know, I want my kids to grow up recognizing that they've got a lot of benefits and that they're part of part of the blessings of this life is to give back to the community. And so for me, it's that's that's uh, the driving force for our for our family. 
Um, but then as a legislator, just to see the types of, you know, just, just getting out and seeing the types of cars that are showing up and recognizing that it's all of a whole variety right, of vehicles that are showing up uh, and people in different situations and people you didn't expect to see in that line or in that line. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, you know, I, I think there's a couple of really interesting things that you said there. I've, I've talked before on this podcast about the fact that I have three boys and I love to bring them to our distributions because it does provide them, one, an opportunity to give back, but two, a perspective that their life is not the same as those around them. You know, and, and that is so critical because down the road, hopefully they'll be community leaders. Hopefully, you know, your your kids will be community leaders. They'll follow in your footsteps and, and have an opportunity to have an impact. And seeing at an early age what exactly that can look like is a really, really powerful thing. And so uh, I know later for our What the Food Bank uh, episode, we will bring on Lottie and talk to her a little bit about it. But I would love to hear um, just kind of the experience for you as, as you showed up, what you saw, how, how it felt to be in that line, you know, tell us a little bit about what it's like to, to hand out food with feeding Tampa Bay. So it was, it was interesting in the fact that one, it was very well organized when I showed up, right? It wasn't, there wasn't, there wasn't a lot of, of, um, con- there wasn't any confusion at all, er- you know, and everybody kind of had their stations and, and it was fun for me because I knew that I was the the junior person in the line like there was some there were some volunteers that had been there for many 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 months uh, and had a lot of experience in this and so my job was just to not get in the way and to to follow orders which is always nice to to um, to kind of be in that situation real quick uh in in those new scenarios but uh you know i think it was the gratitude on people's faces it was the um encouragement from the volunteers it was seeing some volunteers who had a specific job that loved that job. I remember one gentleman who stood in front of the cars and he greeted everybody as they showed up. And he, his, he, was, he was both the greeter and kind of the chief safety officer of the, uh, of the experience, but he made it fun. And when people moved quickly or got, you know, didn't, do, didn't follow his orders directly, he was quick to, to be the safety officer. But he was also quick to have fun with it and make a joke of, of kind of uh, why they were driving this way or doing that. Doing that. Um, but uh, I, the efficiency of the operation was what really impressed me. The gratitude on people's faces uh, and the overall organization itself uh, really kind of highlighted to me why this organization is doing such a great work in this community. Thank you for saying that. We can take, uh, at least the three of us on this podcast can take no credit for that, but we're we're happy to take it for our teammates. And, uh, you know, I think we strive in our volunteer experiences to create an opportunity that is meaningful, but is also uh, effective and is uh, something that not only will you come back and you'll feel good that, that you had an opportunity to, to help in your community, but you will see that you made a difference and you will see that it was done in a very professional manner. And, and it's great to hear that that's the experience that you had with us. You know, we, um, we are now at a place where we're doing well over a hundred of these mobile distributions every single month. Wow. And that doesn't happen without really complex logistics behind sure. it. And you know, part of this is our, our ability to get all of that food out to the trop, get it out to, you know, our outer counties. Um, but I'm, I'm interested, you know, I know the trop was the one that made the most sense for you because it's within your district, but tell us a little bit about, 
uh, the folks that you serve in the district that you that you represent? So my district is really the middle portion of Pinellas. So I have uh, basically everything from 22nd Avenue in St. Petersburg North to uh, Southern Clearwater, everything from the bay to the beaches. So I have the best part of Pinellas. <laughs> Uh, and uh, it's a gorgeous area of Largo, Seminole, Pinellas Park, uh, all of the beach communities south of Clearwater Beach. Uh, so it's a, a great area, and one that I grew up in, one that I went to school in. My mom was the headmaster of Northside Christian School, so uh, I grew up with her, uh, which was a very ex- interesting experience. And one of the reasons I, I went to the Army seven days after high school was mostly <laughs> to get away from her. Uh, but I, uh, I grew up in that area. It's an area I love. It's a great area I raised my, my, my four kids in and uh, been very blessed. In, uh, but the constituents I serve, I mean, you can see the, just the, in that area the variety of needs from you know, retirees who have decided to live in condos on the beach to uh, those who have, you know, are working for Raymond James or Jabel that live in, uh, in the community to uh, areas like Leelman that have a great deal of need in our food deserts in, in many ways. So it's, a, it's, a, it's been really interesting to kind of learn the district in a different way uh, and to drive around and meet with local uh, organizations that are, that are committed to serving really sometimes hyper-local areas, right? Well, you know, you have, if you're just serving Leelman, that's a very kind of small portion of Pinellas, but a huge need in that area. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, I, I grew up in the, that district as well. I grew up in Seminole and uh, my mom still lives there. And, uh, you know, I, I have the same perspective that it's, it's an incredible variety of experiences of, of people, of, uh, of assets and, and resources within it as well. And um, one of the things that we're really excited about is that within your district, we will actually be launching our third Trinity Cafe. Um, so right now we have, uh, a distribution of our prepared meals happening every Thursday afternoon in Leelman. And, uh, we will turn that space. We actually just signed the construction contract, uh, to upgrade the facility at Northwest church, uh, to turn it into a Trinity Cafe. So, uh, down the road, you know, we hope we'll be able to to join us and serve there absolutely absolutely we'd love to do that this podcast was made possible by the innovative thinking and the funding of feeding america a nationwide network of more than 200 food banks that feed more than 46 million people through food pantries soup kitchens shelters and other community-based agencies so tell us what's going on in the legislature right now. It seems like this is kind of a, a crazy time. Wow. The next few weeks are going to be really interesting. Obviously, everything really kind of comes into effect July 1. That's our fiscal year for the state of Florida. And uh, we have, so, so both it's the fiscal year, but it's also usually the, the time when new policy comes into play. We have kind of gone through, uh, we've, we finished session in mid-March uh, this year. It was a very early session. We started in January, finished in mid-March. So all the policy has been done for months. All the budget has been done for months. And so typically, you know, the governor would get the budget maybe a month after the end of session, have made his decisions, have had plenty of time for agencies to kind of make the adjustment because, you know, their, their, their checkbooks are all basically going to be set July 1. Well, um, then obviously the pandemic happened and that has thrown everything for a loop. And we have, you know, obviously had huge impacts on tourism with Disney universal, the beaches being shut, uh, that has had incredible, uh, effects on the job, the, the jobless community and, and the workforce. And so we've had to make some significant adjustments there. 
But uh, uh, as a legislator, really is what is delayed is a lot of the policy and, frankly, the budget being signed. And so I, w- I would expect the budget will be signed in the next week or two. I would expect you'll see some very, very heavy vetoes as they try to uh, they try to pare back the budget so that they can weather the next year uh, because this budget runs from July one to till uh, July of next year. And so we've got they, they've got to have the reserves in order to to kind of keep everything going. And government, in many ways, is not you know it has certain must provide functions, right? You have to have a prison system, and that prison system must be funded. You have Medicaid. Uh, that you have got to provide. You have education that you have to provide, law enforcement you have to provide. Those types of services are not kind of, if we get the money to do it, those are, these things must happen and we must have the funds necessary to fund these things. Uh, and so uh, it, I, I think you're going to see, uh, you're going to see us over the next few weeks really kind of being being advocates for our position in the budget. But I think many of the, the budget priorities that legislators are brought are kind of, kind of uh, secondary to the core functions of government and are going to be paired back. Yeah, so it, it will create a really interesting year for us because Florida, you know, people may or may not know with, with a balanced budget amendment, we cannot deficit spend Correct. as a state. Yeah. And so if the money is not there in, in tax income and in other revenue streams, it does not get spent. Yeah, absolutely. But let me tell you, let, I mean, that sounds negative. Let me tell you the positive. I am, I am so glad we're in Florida yes. versus Illinois, Connecticut, Kentucky, some of these other states that are, that are already uh, have a huge budget deficits. Florida came into this really prepared to weather a lot of storms. I mean, obviously, we're, we're prepared for hurricanes and everything else, but we have been balancing our budget for years. We had had a, a, a significant surplus uh, that we had put in reserves over the last few years to kind of weather some of this. Obviously, there's been federal dollars that have come down that are, that are going to help mitigate a lot of the, the, uh, the financial impact that we've seen. But many other states are not like that, and many other states have not made some of those prudent decisions that the Florida legislature has made over the last few years. And I think overall, Governor DeSantis has done a great job. Uh, he is, you know, he is a tireless worker. I mean, he is either at the Capitol or on uh, on the plane flying someplace else in Florida to uh, inspect or to uh, report on or to talk about something going on in the state. And uh, and so he's done a great job, uh, and we're we've the legislature is really uh, it's it's really going to take a support sort of support role right now, and then probably going to have to go back in special session in November of this year. Yeah, and in your role as a legislator, I know I've, I've heard you describe yourself as a uh, kind of a big idea guy, and and that's certainly played out over the course of your legislative career. And one of the ones we talked a little bit about is criminal justice reform. Right. Um, that. You know, obviously there is a there's a new lens on it right now and we don't need to go deeply into it. But I, I would love to, to hear a little bit about how you approach the issue and, and what you see as uh, kind of a path forward for our state. So public safety is the number one role of government. Essentially, nothing else happens. Education can't happen. Healthcare can't happen unless you have a safe community. Uh, where laws are being followed and, you know, the, the, the rules are kind of being respected. And so it is, I always view public safety and criminal justice in that light, that it's the number one role of government. But it's also the area where we, we kind of tend to look at the data the least, right? People say, well, they're bad. Well, we're going to put them away. And you go, well, great. Well, what's the data show? How do we do that? What's the appropriate length of sentence? What's the appropriate, is it, you know, is that this person be better to be diverted? Would this person be uh, better to get a civil citation? What, you know, what is the least that we can do 
in order to modify their behavior in the future. Uh, and then, uh, so, so I think, I think of criminal justice in a, a couple different buckets, right? We have the, what happens before you get in and what happens in, you know, before you kind of get to the jail system. And so what type of education diversion, uh, community resources, training for law enforcement, can we put in at the front end? Uh, and that's a significant conversation that I don't think we're, we're addressing enough of. I think you have certain sheriffs and certain police departments that are doing really well, but I don't think there's a standardized list of best practices that, that all communities are following. And so part of my goal has been to establish some of those best practices. Uh, for example, a recording interrogations. Uh, well, this is, uh, you know, if somebody commits a serious crime, it's generally considered a best practice for us to record that interrogation and not just kind of take somebody's word for what that person said or what their actions was. I think in 2020, people fully expect that if they're going to get on the stand, they're, they're going to have a recording of that, you know, as a jury, they're going to be able to see that interrogation take place. And that's really a best practice. But many, many um, community police departments and sheriff's offices don't follow that practice. They, they're kind of back in the 1980s. Um, and oftentimes, there's not even a voice recording of, of, of those conversations. So uh, that's kind of one area where we've tried to continue to push is for that best practice to take place. In the prison system itself, uh, Florida has about 90,000 inmates. We you know, uh, kind of try, go between 90 and 100,000 inmates in any, any given year. And it's probably the most uh, challenging area of public policy. It's the easiest place in the world to cut from because politically people go, well, they're in prison. Let's just let them be in prison and they don't need great food. I mean, we spend $1.81 a day for an inmate in the prison system to eat three meals. Uh, and they're uh, largely inactive most of the day. So we're not really have a correction system. We really have a warehousing system. Um, and that's been a passion of mine is to begin to change that, to really say, well, this isn't, this isn't how we should treat people. Even the way they're incarcerated, we, we should want them to come out better than they came in. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, so often we have people coming in reading at the third or fourth grade level. They, uh, they spend five years with us and then they leave reading at the third or fourth grade level and they've gotten no job skills and they have, uh, they have been put with people that are more serious criminals than them. And so they've learned more criminal activity. And so they leave as a better criminal with no better education. And I sit back and go, what have we done? Like society clearly isn't better because of this situation. What a missed opportunity. Correct, right. And so part of what, what our team has been working on is to say, all right, what are the best practices from around the country that we could follow? And where can we where can we try to uh, meet people where they are? Provide more education in the in the facilities, uh, provide better uh, work release opportunities so that they're getting job skills, get them active and engaged and staying so they're staying healthy, uh, and and uh, and then when we're ready to get them out, how do we transition them on the back end? So the third bucket really is transition uh, to back into society. And so today, you would not be shocked to know, or you may be shocked to know, that the, today the transition process is $50 on a bus pass. Yeah. And so oftentimes they're living under a bridge in three days and back to committing new crimes. And we're shocked that they're committing new crimes because they just got out of prison. But I'm like, but that we, had, we gave them no skills. They're, we gave them 50 bucks on a bus pass. We provided them no transition, no coaching, nothing on the back end. Why is anybody shocked that this is happening? Right. It's almost inevitable. Correct. Right. And so uh, you, so for us, it's been, let's look at the data, let's look at the best practices, and let's really dive into what we can do to, uh, to make Florida a leader in, in, in any one of those buckets, in any one of those areas. 
so you know our team has over the last few years issued be, um, gotten juvenile and adult civil citation programs put in place to the point now where a law enforcement officer arrests a juvenile um, and he does not give a civil citation he has to tell us why what a huge impact that has made i mean people with with a criminal record in their uh, when they're under 18 this this doesn't just impact that day it impacts them the rest of their life yeah. because with google you can search that right even if we expunge that record you can't expunge google and so getting them a civil citation gets that doesn't put them in the court system addresses that behavior and we have a huge incidence of of um them following the law and not recidivating recidivating um if if we can get them a civil citation and put them through that civil citation process um, and in the prison system, we have worked tirelessly to provide one more activity to better uh, a, 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 an incentive program in the prison so that we're, we're not kind of putting the, the good inmates in with the people that are uh, in gangs uh, to try to separate that out so that we don't keep that criminal, that we, we aren't teaching the criminal behavior. Uh, but but uh, we've really worked to kind of re reimagine that system. And then on the back end, we worked to create job training uh, uh, and more education services and more coaching and a, and a warm handoff, uh, recognizing that, uh, that the way that we do it today is just completely counterproductive. But all of those things takes money. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, hopefully next year will be a much better budget year than this year. We can get back into some of those things in, in a really meaningful way. And that's one of the things that we talked about a little bit as we took a tour of the facility was, uh, you know, our work in working with folks who might have an imperfect background yeah. and, and how to build job skills and, and all the things that we do to, to assist. Yeah. I can't tell you how important it is. Look, the number one factor for somebody not committing a new crime when they get out of prison, if they have the ability to get a job, right? They have to have the ability to get back into the workforce to reestablish their family they and, and to provide for their family. They want to do this. They want to figure out how to provide for their family. They're providing for their family if they can get a job by showing up to work every day. If they can't get a job, they're going to provide for their families in other ways. Um, but for us, it's can we give people the skills? And I think the work that you all are doing is incredible to just help people reestablish themselves in their community. Yeah, and I think you know the the thing, the common thread that I'm hearing here that underlies the whole conversation so far, is the dignity of the individual, mm -hmm. and whether that's somebody who's in our line for the first time or somebody who's, you know, engaged in the criminal justice system or someone who's out and trying to make something of themselves, and um, the the dignity of work and earning a paycheck and and being able to provide is, I think, an underappreciated element of that rest restoration of full citizenship right um and and it's great to hear someone who has an opportunity to have an impact on that actually thinking in that way yeah i think the the, the key takeaway for me is that um people aren't static they change we aren't who we were in our 20s and that happens uh, for people who are incarcerated as well, right? They they grow up, they grow out of certain behaviors, uh, and they can they are not who they are their worst day of their life. And if we see people in that light, and we try we give them the opportunity to grow and succeed, they will take you up on that opportunity, and they want to grow and succeed. They don't don't want to be in the situation forever, uh, but they need the opportunity. The crazy thing for me and what I, the kind of the epiphany I had early on uh, working in the criminal justice system is for, for many people, 
as chaotic as the prison system is, it was often the stablest they had ever been. Yeah. They got three meals a day. They got health care. They had a bed to sleep in at night. That is, and, and while they had other worries and other stressors in the prison system, that level of stability for them allowed them to have a base to grow off of. And many of them grew up in a single family household, had food insecurity, had housing insecurity, were sleeping in cars, grew up with their grandma because mom and dad were incarcerated. And if you think about the nexus of what we're talking about and the work that you all do, there is a lot of synergy. Um, and, and there's a lot of common, uh, uh, common elements in the conversation. Yeah, no doubt. And, you know, I, I really appreciate the very clear perspective that you have on uh, how someone ended up interacting with law enforcement in a negative way. Right. You know, that is, it's just not something that happens out of the blue. Right there, there's all sorts of background to it, and there's all sorts of reasons why. And the fact that food insecurity is one of those elements is certainly something that makes it hard for us to sleep at night. You know, because that's something we can impact. That's something that we work very, very hard to impact. And um, you know, I, I also think about the the school system and the the opportunity that we have there. Um, my wife is a teacher. I've mentioned this before on the podcast, and. Um, you know, she was one of those teachers that had the drawer with, with snacks, you know, for the kids who, who she knew weren't going to be eating. And so, uh, one of the things that we've done to, to help create that security in the, uh, to reduce food insecurity is build pantries in schools. We now have about 40 of them, uh, early childhood, elementary, middle high school, and even in the universities. And, uh, there, the opportunity there, um, I know you'd appreciate this. It's data driven. Mm-hmm. We, uh, we looked at programs that were designed to help kids with food insecurity. And what we found is by and large, they weren't meeting the need. They weren't even meeting the design, you know, the, the stated goal of a program. If you hand a kid a backpack full of food on a Friday afternoon, that food is gone Friday night. And it's not just the kid who's eating it. It's the kid and the siblings right. and the parents and the neighbors and um, and so we took a really hard look at that and said, you know, what's a better way? And, and I love that you're asking that question in all of your legislative priorities. Florida Blue's mission is to help people and communities achieve better health. In partnership with Feeding Tampa Bay, their collective goal is a hunger-free Tampa Bay by 2025. How will we do that? By ensuring that all our neighbors have access to fresh, nutritious food that is essential to a healthy and capable lifestyle. We invite you to join the movement. Visit hungerfree2025.com. I'm curious, though, you know, we talked a little bit about that project and we showed you the uh, forklift simulator that we were uh, testing out over here and uh, gave you, you know, gave you the tour of the facility. I'm curious what else kind of caught your, your eye as you wandered around feeding Tampa Bay. Well, I think I didn't understand their graphs, the scale. And then, too, I didn't grasp the turnaround time, right? That that most of the food that comes in here will be gone within 30 hours. Yep. That, to me, I mean, when you walk through row after row after row of food, and then you realize that this is a two- or three-day supply. Yeah. And that this will all be gone, and new food will be in, and new volunteers will be needed. I was just kind of taken aback as as to the size, size, size scope, and scale of it all. 
Yeah, and that's, you know, it's one of the reasons why we love when people come visit us, when people come volunteer here in the facility, because there's no way to explain it. You know, numbers and data don't do it justice. When you stand in an 80,000 square foot facility and see rows and rows and rows of food and know that'll be gone and replaced in three days, like you said, you know, it's a it's a real eye opener for the scope of what needs to happen and the the amount of uh, need that exists in our community um you know we one of the other things that that you had an opportunity to see is that we've been receiving a lot of assistance uh during this time from the national guard um it's amazing to see the the dedication and skill of folks who signed up and and said that i'm willing to serve my community they probably didn't think that meant you know putting on BDUs and then coming in and moving food around. Right. But it certainly uh, has made a huge difference for us. So I'm curious what your thoughts are on that because it's a, you know, it's the Florida National Guard. Yeah, look, I think it's a, it's a, you, the, the need is there. Their job is to help the state meet the need in areas that they don't, they are understaffed in. And uh, clearly um, it's, it's, it's kind of amazing to think that how difficult it would have been to meet the need without them stepping up right now and helping in the short term. Now, I don't think it's a permanent role, no, <laughs> but it's definitely a great opportunity for both them to serve the community and for, uh, for us to, uh, reach out to those in, in such desperate need. Yeah, absolutely. So Shannon, do you have, uh, questions or you want to jump in here? I know I've kind of monopolized, uh, Senator's time here for for the first part of the conversation. You know what? I know you guys went on a tour before we started recording this podcast. And sometimes I know we all during this time, we've learned that uh, sometimes it's just okay to listen. So I've really been enjoying your conversation and been listening and you've been spot on with everything that we needed to know. And I think our listeners can enjoy uh, hearing from the Senator. So really my focus is going to be what the food bank. I want to talk to Lottie. So that, that'll be my role today. Great. So, so Senator, maybe you can give us a little teaser for, uh, for what's coming up later. Yeah. So we were, uh, you know, our family was stuck at home and, uh, Lottie had toured, uh, had, had served for, with feeding Tampa Bay for, uh, one weekend, uh, with myself and, and, uh, Lizzie and my other daughter. And we got back home and my wife is an artist and said, look, what would you like to do? You know, what would you like to do this afternoon? And she's like, well, I'd like to paint and I'd like to, and my wife said, well, let's paint and let's talk about selling these and maybe we can give the money to Feeding Tampa Bay. And so that kind of really predicated the whole conversation. And then all the kids got involved and uh, we've had uh, all kinds of great paintings go out. Uh, my favorite was my son's, uh, my son's painting of a monster named George Farts. <laughs> Uh, that I don't understand why I didn't purchase that painting right away, but my neighbor down the street, I'd like have to go down and figure out how to get it back because just with a painting with that it's name, gonna cost you, you. I'm yeah. telling you, I'm telling you, I'm like double or triple the price at this juncture, but we are, uh, we are really, uh, we, we have kind of, it's kind of become a joy in the afternoon to sit down and paint with the kids. Um, but then also to watch them get excited as people, uh, engage with them. And, and for them, it's been a, a great learning tool, uh, because, you know, they write thank you letters. They, uh, they get to see the joy on people's faces. They as produce this, but they also know it's going to a great cause and a noble goal. 
yeah, it's it's neat to see you talk about this. I'm glad we're doing this in person because you can just see your your face light up to to have that opportunity as a father to see uh, your kids take an interest in the community to do something that gives back, um, and it really has been fun to watch from the outside, right? Because uh, you know, obviously, you have a high public profile as a legislator, but when people see you as a father, that totally changes things. Yeah, well, it's uh, it's been fun because I, my kids range from 12 now to six, and they all kind of come at it a different way, and they all enjoy it in a different way, and obviously their skill of painting is very different as well. Uh, and so we've, uh, it's been it's been just a joy to, to participate in that and, uh, and to watch them grow and to serve. Yeah, I have a Lizzie original up in my office, I actually. <laughs> Because, you know, when you guys came back the second week and you told me what was going on and that you were excited about it, I you know, immediately went on Instagram, started taking a look. And uh, it was kind of funny because I found one that I liked. It happened to be garnet and gold, which, right. you know, there's there's a reason I like those colors. But um, I, I tried to order it. And uh, and then I heard back from, from Lizzie that it had already been sold. Right. So I actually commissioned a Lizzie original. I love that it. was, you know, the, the same colors. I told her, I don't care what it looks like as long as it's got garnet and gold. I love it. That's great. That's great. <laughs> Great. Well, she's she's really enjoyed doing it. Yeah, well, you know, we it, it's such a fun way to introduce the concept of philanthropy. Yeah. You know, we here at Feeding Tampa Bay have a program called Changemakers, and what Changemakers is is the the exact same concept. We take kids from the ages actually right your your kids are the demographic from six to to preteen um, and we invite them to to come in uh, during our family nights. And we do a combination of uh, helping them learn how to give back, uh, you know, one through their service, but also uh, through understanding the financial side of things. So Seacoast Bank comes in and they do a little bit of financial literacy and talk about saving. And, um, you know, we, we've been doing this a couple of months now. One of our uh, lead change makers is a teenager named Felicia, who's going to be a lightning community hero and get the jersey and the whole deal and uh, my boys have participated and uh, my youngest son nolan who just turned eight um, came to me uh, you know a couple weeks after his first time as a change maker and he went through all the change in in our house and uh, came up with 37 bucks that he wanted to donate to feeding tampa bay and so uh, that was a lot of fun to bring that in. I'm sure, uh, yeah. you know, you're going to have that same experience. I know the the plan is for the Brandis family to come back later in the summer and, and share with us your donation. So uh, do you have a, any insight into how that's going? Everything is going great. We're, you know, we, uh, it's, uh, they've just been, they've been steady and they've been, uh, you know, they've, they've kind of gone through friends and family at this point, but the, as their network grows, uh, Lottie was just in the, her local school newspaper. And so we've gotten a lot of reaction from that. I think, uh, you know, for them, it's, it's, uh, it's about the joy. Uh, and it's not as much about the dollars because whatever they, they raise, we're going to, we're going to help out to, to make sure it's a meaningful, meaningful number. So for us, uh, it really is about them, um, kind of getting this attitude of, of gratitude and as of, of giving back and of the recognizing that they're very blessed and that part of being blessed is the, the service to others, that it's much better to give than receive. Yeah. And that's, it's so great to hear that as a, as a perspective is, you know, as a, as another father, as somebody who like you has dedicated themselves to service of the community, um, you know, you hope your example 
is right. is enough but often it's not often that the most important part is letting kids jump in and participate yeah you got to you have to you have it's not they, they'll see you and they understand kind of what you do generally but they need to live it and it needs to be part of their daily their their, their weekly routine almost uh, for them to to be showing kind of that selfless service which is what I'm really trying to instill yeah, it's awesome. It's uh, I have no doubt that, that there are going to be four Brandis kids making a huge impact on this world. So. Yeah, thanks. All right, everybody. So, um, you know, we just got lots of wonderful insight from the senator, um, you know, regarding his time with Feeding Tampa Bay and the things that he's uh, seen and been able to be a part of and, and his work to um, help to make Florida, you know, better for all of its residents. And um, in this episode of What the Food Bank, we want to talk to his daughter, Lottie, about uh, all of the fun things she's been doing to do her part to try to help the community during these times. And um, we got a little preview about the art that is uh, just a must-have these days. Um, hot ticket item. <laughs> it is. I got some personally delivered today. Yeah. Part of my custom order, which oh, I'm man. super excited about. <laughs> Matt's starting a thing That's because right. he did a custom order, and I'm like, I don't want one of those. <laughs> So I have three little monsters, so I get three little monsters. Oh, man. Pretty incredible. So, Lottie, welcome to What the Food Bank. (laughs) (laughs) You have to talk into the mic, sweetie. (laughs) So tell us. So you got to tour the food bank with your dad today. What did you think? I thought it was really cool and... um Okay, so yeah. let me let me. It explain. is really cool. Let me, it is really cool. We get to come here all the time. So, what was the one thing that stood out to you that was a wow? Um, I saw there was a lot of people working here, and that just kind of like blew my mind. And like showing how many people like want to give to the community and help it. Yeah. Yep. So I remember seeing you for the very first time when you volunteered with us at the Tropicana Field Lot 4 when we were giving all of the neighbors um, the food that with all the neighbors in need, right? So what was your favorite part about that day? Um, I really liked working with my sister and um, we like switched off. We like, um, like, worked together and it like I felt like it helped our relationship grow and it helped my relationship with the community grow because I felt like I was giving something to the community and that made me feel good and you were so you were giving out boxes I believe right so today when you were out in the area where they were packing the boxes that's what they were doing those actual boxes that they were packing they do that pretty much almost every day for us to serve the need you were handing those boxes out that's what you and your family were doing and I believe we were giving out milk that day too Mm -hmm. and fresh produce and shelf stable items those are things in the pantry and um, I think some meat that day too so that so people can cook them in their own kitchens right so it made you feel great so tell um, our listeners where they can find your effort what are you guys doing we are selling art on instagram and facebook okay. yeah yep so mostly instagram yeah right so what's the name of it helping heart helping heart so you can how do they do that how do they help they donate to our cause they buy art or they donate okay and and you guys upload new art all the time? Yeah. So first they have to go like the page, right? Yeah. So they have to go find you. So who's doing all the art right now? Um, it's me and my siblings mainly. Okay. And 
So I think your mom said, are you guys going to try to get cousins or maybe somebody to help? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we've been doing that sometimes. Yeah, so you went on family vacation and are going to try to get the cousins to lean in and help out? Yeah. <laughs> That'll be good because I think we're going to share uh, your page with everybody. So we have a lot of followers. How many do we have, Ev? Uh, like a whole bunch. <laughs> like a whole, whole bunch, like tens of thousands? Yeah, yeah. So I think you might get a few followers, some new ones. You guys better get busy and get some supplies ready. Are you ready for that? Yeah. Because we really want to get, if you, if you need some help, we might lean in and help you too. Maybe we can host a paint day here at the food bank that or would something. That yeah. This summer. And it's helping heart, but it's spelled a little differently, right? It's, right, can yeah. you spell it? I think it just it skips the E in heart. Right, right? yeah. H-E-L-P-I-N-G-H-A-R-T. That's right. Right? That's right. Yes. It's one of my favorites. Emphasis on the art at the end. Yeah. Heart. So, and, you know, since you're the one with the microphone here, you can tell us, are you the best artist among everybody? Her modesty is kicking in. Okay, how about most experienced artist? Is that a nicer way to put it? Well, that's my mom. Oh. Oh. Give credit where it's due. Is your mom gonna <laughs> donate some art to the to the page? She did, but then she re- she wanted like it to just be me and my siblings. So great. So tell me how like you come that. up with your ideas. Well, so sometimes like I see like stuff outside. Sometimes like I look at that stuff. Sometimes I feel like no. One of the times I've watched a tutorial and attempted to do it. And then um, other times I edit stuff and like add pictures to like backgrounds on like, and that's what inspires me sometimes to do. Very cool. How, what's your favorite piece that you've done so far? Um, there's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, probably. The ballerina? I was going to say the dancer. Oh, yeah, yeah, probably so. the dancer. It's nice. really pretty. Yeah. It's a really pretty piece. So, so, so I would say that she, she is uh, one of the better ones of the, uh, <laughs> at, at doing the art, but my little boy is the best at naming them. <laughs> oh, right? so. His individual names of his pieces are just completely random. <laughs> so share them with us. Share well, with you. Look, his, his uh, masterpiece was George Farts. <laughs> Okay. Uh, but they're they're also you know and they're kind of all over the place so so we never know what two words because he has to they have to only be two words for him because he's six <laughs> so we never know what two words he's going to combine into these pieces uh, so it really doesn't matter what he paints it's, it's all about the name got it <laughs> so got it. Lottie do you let him name your artwork too or does he only name his he only names his <laughs> <laughs> because she's twelve <laughs> it's got its own appeal can't let us six-year-old name your art <laughs> so Lottie I uh, you know one of the things that's been fun to see is that it seems like each week that you've come out to the pantry you've gotten uh, more and more comfortable handing out food uh, what's your favorite part of that volunteer experience um spending time with like the community and like um helping out and stuff like that it makes a huge difference. We can't do our work without great volunteers. And your dad's okay, but you, you're really good. You know, you're, you do a fantastic job, and you keep that line moving. So we really appreciate you coming out and, and volunteering with us. So a really important part of what the food bank is where we tell the community 
uh, what we need at Feeding Tampa Bay, and that is volunteers. And it's so easy for people to volunteer. It's feedingtampabay.org. Up at the top, you can push the button volunteer and you can sign up and find the perfect place, location, time, county, anything that suits you. And we'd love for our listeners to come volunteer. We can also use your donations. Um, Every dollar counts. And Lottie and her siblings are helping raise money for Feeding Tampa Bay to help feed their neighbors. And they're going to be creating art all summer. So go on Instagram, Helping Heart, where you can purchase some art from her. And, of course, if you need to find food, please hit that button, Find Food, in all 10 of our counties. We have mega pantries. We have uh, programs and services all available to you. There is no one who should go hungry in Tampa Bay, and Feeding Tampa Bay is here for you. Thank you, Lottie, and thank you, Senator, for being with us today. We appreciate you so much and uh, your innovative way to help our neighbors here in Tampa Bay. You made a huge difference. Thank you. Thank you. You can learn more about Feeding Tampa Bay and how to join the movement at feedingtampabay.org. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube at Feeding Tampa Bay. You can learn more about Senator Jeff Brandis at jeffbrandisflorida.com. And you can purchase the art that his children are making to help support Feeding Tampa Bay by following their Instagram at helpingheart.